Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to Cashflow Guys Podcast, boys and girls. It's that time again. And in case you don't know, if this is your first time tuning in, my name is Tyler Sheff. And of course, I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And this week, we're going to talk about pandemic opportunity. And I know a lot of you are thinking, what kind of dirtbag finds opportunity in the middle of a pandemic? Pandemic, rather. And I'm going to say, I do. Because what's the alternative? We can either choose to be a victim of what's going on, or we can choose to be a victor of what's going on. And I'm going to go ahead and, and go with the victor part, because frankly, I'm I'm, I'm not going to play the victim card. There's no sense in it. And a lot of folks are sitting back, licking their wounds, going, oh, I lost reservations. Heck, we lost reservations. My wife and I lost, oh my goodness, $85,000, $90,000 worth of reservations in a matter of 18 hours for our short-term rentals. We've had all kinds of issues crop up that people blamed on coronavirus or COVID-19 or whatever you want to call it. But here's the thing. We decided to persevere. We decided not to panic. We decided to make lemonade out of lemons instead of chewing on a sour lemon and making a funny face. And that's what I want to talk about this week. I want to talk about massive opportunity that's coming, but you got to be paying attention. You got to be focused on thinking positively, thinking in abundance, because if you're thinking in abundance, you can make a fortune and you can help good people that are stuck in rough situations. So according to HUD's Housing Market Indicators Monthly Update, that's an actual name of a report. It's called the Housing Market Indicators Monthly Update for January 21. Now, if you want to get a copy of this and go through these stats yourself, or maybe you want to track it monthly, you can go to HUD.com. Gov. Uh, I think it's HUD.gov. And but anyway, go over to the HUD's, HUD's website, look into the reporting, and you, they've got all kinds of different reports and things there that you can use to kind of keep a good idea of what's going on. But as of January 2021, these are the most recent stats available. <laughs> this will blow your mind. 40.3%, that's 40%. Of mortgages in America are reporting as delinquent as compared to 28% at the same time last year. Let that sink in. Now, the 28% figure was to me shockingly high. I was naive to the fact that there was last year this time before COVID, 28% of America was behind on their mortgage. I know that people are broke, that a lot of America's broke. A good chunk of America doesn't have $400 to survive an emergency without having to swipe a credit card. I get all that, but I guess I never really boiled that down to mortgages. In the COVID environment, January January 2021, 40.3%, that's almost half of mortgages in the U.S. are in some stage of being behind. That's kind of terrifying if you think about it. Now, the next category is seriously delinquent, which means over 90 days past due. In seriously delinquent mortgages, there are over 2 million mortgages that are over 90 days past due. 2 million mortgages. Here's what's interesting though. Of all that, only 5%, only 5% are actually in some stage of forbearance, which forbearance basically means that the borrower has reached out to the mortgage company, said, I'm having a hard time. I need a break on payments. That's only accounts for 5% of the mortgages that are behind have actually reached out and come to some sort of a forbearance agreement with their lender. Now, I'm not saying that forbearance is for everybody. Frankly, I wouldn't do a forbearance either because at the end of the day, if you don't have the money to pay your mortgage, and you do a forbearance saying, hey, I can pay you in six months and every mortgage payment just sits there and stacks up. Unless you're maybe on somebody that's on commission, you're expecting a big commission, you're going to be able to make all these payments at once. Chances are you're never going to survive the forbearance. So of those 5%, I'm concerned for a lot of those people that are in that 5% category because this could be, it could equate to an absolute tidal wave. This will, not even could, this will equate to a tidal wave of defaulted assets building up, just looking for a shoreline to destroy. This is going to be like Japan during the last tsunami. I mean, it's going to be 
ugly because you know, 40% of the mortgages are behind. Now, the reason why they haven't started foreclosures in a lot of these is because there's a foreclosure ban in place. As you know, started by the Trump administration, carried on by the Biden administration. We don't know how long this is going to continue. It could go on until September. I think it just got extended till March or, or till June. Uh, as of today, actually, I saw Sean Yesner posted in the Cashflow Guys community that it has been extended until June, if memory serves correct. I imagine it would be reasonable to think that they will probably extend it out even farther. So I guess if you're a homeowner, I guess maybe that's good news. If you're not a, if you're a, the the lender, that's probably not good news because you're not getting any payments. Maybe keep in mind there are a lot of mortgages out there that are being paid on time. As a matter of fact, sixty percent of them in America are being paid on time. But understand this: even if they extend the foreclosure ban, that's just a temporary. That's like sticking your finger in the dam when it's leaking, right before it's going to collapse. That's just sticking your finger in it, putting a bandaid over it. That's not going to solve the problem. The problem is people are not working. They're not going back to work anytime soon. Maybe because we've lost, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of small businesses have gone under. Somebody that's behind on their mortgage is far more motivated to sell, or even someone that's about to be behind on their mortgage would be far more motivated to sell. The folks that are behind on their mortgage payments are getting close to being behind the mortgage payments. They're looking for an out. Make no mistake. They're looking for a way to get past this. They're looking for this pain to go away. The mounting debt that are these mortgage payments, that's not going to disappear. I don't care what the president does or who's in office, it doesn't matter. That's not going to disappear. Granted, the government may bail out some of the banks, but the individual mortgage holders, the people that have retirement accounts, things like that, they're not going to get bailed out. There's no bailout for regular people. There's only bailout for big business, big banks. So the individual note holders that are holding mortgages, they might be in some in some serious doo-doo. So what does all this mean? How does this spell opportunity? Well, for starters, mortgage that, mortgages that originated in the last several years were likely written at very low interest rates. I want you to remember that. It's not like these mortgages are written in the 80s when interest rates are 20%. And even though interest rates are at an all-time low now, they've been at an all-time low for quite a while. And by all-time low, I mean under 5%, 2 3 4%. It, guys, at the end of the day, if you can grab onto a property and capture existing financing that's been in, written in the last four years, let's say, and let's say those interest rates are under 5%, that's a great deal. That's cheap money. So how do we do this? First, I want to explain to you in the lifetime, first, I want you to understand that in the lifetime of any mortgage, the value of the property that secures it will rise and fall again. There's no denying that. Properties are going to go up, properties are going down. So those of you that are saying, I'm not doing anything right now because the market's going to crash, bear with me a sec. We know the market's going to crash. We know property values are going to go down, but we also know they will go back up again no matter how high or how bad things get. Before we get too deep into this, I, I want to just explain to you that origination is the most expensive part of a mortgage for a borrower. Understand that. That's where their cash goes. That's where their equity goes away. And when I say equity goes away, I mean that they're, they're, they'll finance a lot of the closing costs in with a loan if they can. After that, once the mortgage has been originated, it basically comes down to principal payback and interest as long as it's paid on time. That's how what the borrower is responsible for after the fact. Now, granted, they got to maintain the property and all that, and that's not where I'm going with this. I'm going to compare this to make it simple to buying a new car uh, versus buying a used car. When you buy a new car, it's estimated that a minimum of 10 to 20% of its value goes away the minute you drive it off the lot. I've heard people say 50%, but I did some statistical research on this, and the most I could find was between 10, 10, between 10 and 20% of the, of the value of a new car falls right off the minute that it gets titled in, in the new owner's name, they drive off the lot. So literally, you own a car on day two, it's worth 10 to 20% less than what you paid for it. You went back to the dealership, as long as it wasn't a lemon, 
chances are you're not going to get anywhere close to your full price for your vehicle. And frankly, if your negotiating skills are not the best, you're going to become a bigger statistic. You'd probably be 25, 30, 40, 50%, depending on the skill of the other party. And frankly, how desperate you are to sell it. When you buy a home, it's common to pay thousands of dollars, if not tens of thousands of dollars, for closing costs and commissions for all the support staff that you use to find, fund, and close the transaction. That includes real estate brokers, uh, lenders, title companies, all kinds of different, or if you're in a state where you're using attorney for closings, attorney's closing costs, all these different things, the title insurance fees, the taxes, all these things are usually all front-loaded. Either way, money goes out the door. That money, once spent, is often considered gone forever unless the buyer waits for the property to appreciate to such a level that it absorbs these closing fees. So what I mean by that is if you spend $10,000 to buy a property, technically you're, you're upside down in the property, let's say, if you paid retail price, full price for it, until the property has appreciated enough to absorb the $10,000. So once it's appreciated $10,000, you're now at break even. The minute it gets to $11,000, now you're in the black you're in good shape. Now, as an investor, when you buy a property from a motivated seller, you can get a significantly discounted price and you can save, if you're smart, a fortune on closing costs if you pay cash or use private money because you're not going to do things like need appraisals. There's not probably not going to be a mortgage broker involved. If you're using your own private money, that's somebody in a relationship that you've worked, maybe somebody that has an IRA is funding the purchase, then you're not going to have to get into all these extra fees. There's no broker origination fees. There's no points. There's none of this stuff. So right out of the gate, you're starting out so much better as an investor than as your traditional homeowner going through the normal vanilla way of doing things, so to speak. But keep in mind, there's an even cheaper way. And the cheaper way is, and a lot of you probably already finished the sentence for me, taking it subject to the existing debt. What does that mean? That means there's already a mortgage in place. Let's say there's a mortgage with Chase Bank and Tom and Susan bought their house and they went and got a mortgage with Chase Bank and that mortgage is with Chase Bank. And guess what Chase Bank does five minutes after the mortgage is closed? They sell it on the open market to somebody else because Chase made their money at the time the loan was initiated in closing costs and fees. Lenders make their money on origination by all the fees they charge. That's what the whole closing cost thing. That's why closing costs are negotiable. Because really what you're negotiating is the profit level to the bank. After that, they will turn around and sell that note to somebody else and sell that note to somebody else. So the closing costs basically melt away. The the lion's share of them melt away after that initial purchase. If you take the property subject to, you can, 75% of those closing costs go away, depending on how you structure the deal. And in some cases, you can make it almost 100%. So you're already going to be starting out better than the guy that, that originally bought the house. The, the guy that just recently bought the house, you can do better as an investor, I'm saying, buying it from them, taking it subject to the existing debt. Now, before I I go into the subject to part of it, I want to say this. This is a catchphrase that everybody under the sun, every wholesaler, it's the only word in their language. It's subject to, subject to, subject to. Taking a property property subject to does not fit every mold. It is not the answer, the end-all, be-all for every deal out there. It is used as a strategy, one of many strategies. If you're going to flip the property to somebody else, just wholesale it, assign the contract to somebody else, put your fee, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 grand, whatever it is, on top of it and move it on. But if you're going to keep the property, take it subject to the existing debt if it makes sense, or maybe even assume the existing loan if you like the, the how it's structured and it makes sense. What do I mean by that? Well, if somebody buys a property and they've got a 30-year mortgage at 4.5% interest, and you know as an investor, you're not going to qualify for a 30-year mortgage at 4.5%. Why upset the apple cart? If these people are already behind 90 days on the mortgage, they're already in trouble. Guess what? Their credit already sucks. So they don't really have a valid argument to say, well, if you are late on the payment, it could screw my 
my credit up. Yeah, well, we've already, we you're already there. So I can't make it any worse. And we can put fail safes in place to make sure that doesn't happen. If, as long as you stay current loan, it's likely you can make payments until the loan is paid in full with no issue. Now, what I would suggest that if you're going to take a property subject to, you get a real estate attorney in your market to help you with the proper disclosures and the paperwork to help make sure that the, the seller doesn't cry foul or cry victim at some point down the road and try to crucify you. Taking a property subject to is not against the law. What it really, what the only thing that's getting violated, which by the way, you're not violating anything. The seller is the one that would be violating something if there was anything to violate. But when the seller bought the property and took out a mortgage, they signed an agreement. The agreement is called a note. Okay. When they sign the note and the mortgage or they acknowledge the note and the mortgage, they're saying that in the event, if the provider, there's a due on sale clause in place, there's a clause in there that says in the event, this is the buyer agrees to this, in the event that the property is sold, that the loan shall become immediately due and payable. That language is often not even in commercial deals. So if you're buying apartments and things like that, a lot of times that language is left out. But uh, And by the way, commercial mortgages, multifamily over four units and things like that, a lot of times they're assumable. They're assumable, which means you can assume them. Yeah, I may mean, have to qualify. Every loan's different. You can find that out. But my point is this, you can take a property subject to the existing mortgage, which means the deed transfers from the seller to you as the buyer. You just keep making the mortgage payments. Now, that solution's not for everybody, guys. If that person is getting ready to go buy another house, then the subject to probably is not a good thing for you to close them on because that existing mortgage will probably disqualify them from getting another mortgage right away. And in some cases, what you can do is to have the give the seller, and, I, and I've worked with your real estate attorney, but to make sure you get this paperwork together, but show that there's a track record of payments made. If a seller, if the, the seller decides to buy another property down the road, they can maybe sit down with the underwriter, especially if it's underwritten locally, and show that, that you've been making the payments on this thing for the last two years. And in many cases, especially if you're dealing with an actual human being breathing underwriter and not a computer, it's possible that the underwriter could be okay with that, just like if it was a rental property, because it's kind of like it is a rental property, although the deed is transferred. Now, if you're dealing with Joe Banker, Joe Banker doesn't understand that. It doesn't fit into the spreadsheet. They're flat out going to say no, but that's a conversation for a different day. So let me give you an actual financial example to kind of bring this home for you to show you some examples of how you can make money right today, right away. You can make a killing. Okay. So here's an example of what I mean. Let's call him Jimmy. Jimmy bought a house four years ago for 300 grand. And let's say Jimmy put 20% down. That means that Jimmy putting 20% down, which in this case is 60 grand, he financed 240 grand. So if you do a, a amortization schedule on that and you calculate what his mortgage payment would be, um, I think I used 4% or something like that. His payment would be about 1150 bucks, 1145.80 plus taxes and insurance. But the problem is Jimmy's having a hard time keeping up with his mortgage. In fact, he's 90 days past due. Maybe Jimmy even did a forbearance. And now that three months of payments is due all at once. Well, guess what? If Jimmy can't make an $1,145 payment, he certainly isn't going to be able to make a $3,500 payment three months from now if he's on a job that pays him a salary and not some sort of massive commission. So what does this equate to? This means Jimmy's in trouble and Jimmy's going to lose his house. Now, you can put on your superhero cape, come running to the rescue. How do you do that? First of all, understand that like most Americans, Jimmy does not have five grand laying around to get caught up. Also understand that every single month, this gets worse. Jimmy knows this. You should know this too. And in case Jimmy forgets, it might not hurt to ask him what he plans to do next month or the month after if he doesn't have the five grand now because the five grand becomes 6,100 next month and 7,200 next month. And you can see how this goes. It gets out of control. Today, because Jimmy's 
was paying up until three months ago, the payoff on the loan of that house that he bought for three hundred grand would be around two hundred and twenty-two thousand dollars. Let's assume that the property appreciated ten percent per year. And in my markets down here in Florida, that's easy peasy realistic. You can make the numbers whatever you want. You can cut my numbers in half, and they still look sexy. But we're going to go with ten percent because ten percent I can prove in paper. Properties in Florida have absolutely property or appreciated ten percent every year for the last. I've lost track of how many years now they've been trucking along post the crash. I think about two thousand ten is when they started started to see recovery, and it's been picking up about ten percent between eight and ten percent per year. So using ten percent per year, that means that three hundred thousand dollar property after a couple of years is now worth four hundred and thirty nine thousand. Four years, it's gone from 300,000 to 439,000. Now, keep in mind that the 300 grand was the price of the house, not what the loan payoff is because he put $60,000 down. So, if his loan payoff now, because he put $60,000 down against the 300, and then he's been paying on it and his interest rate was relatively low, his payoff is 222. Well, retail value on the house is 439. What does that mean? That means that there's over $200,000. After only four years, there's over $200,000 available in equity that Jimmy can cash in on. That is a reasonable number. And that includes, boys and girls, for those of you that are wondering, it includes real estate commissions and fees. I factored in the cost of hiring a top real estate broker to sell it, photographs, appraisal, whatever you may be, all the expenses associated with selling it. There's still over $200,000 in net profit, okay? Still over $200,000 in net profit. So the question remains, how much of that $200,000 are you willing to share with Jimmy? So if Jimmy's three months behind on his mortgage, what's going to happen? Jimmy's going to lose his house. Jimmy's not happy. Jimmy's wife's probably not giving him any nookie right now because they're all stressed out. So what is he going to do? He could do nothing and get a foreclosure on his record. His credit destroyed. He'll eventually wind up in bankruptcy. Or Jimmy can decide to take in a number to put some cash in his pocket in an amount less than 200 grand. Jimmy, I can solve your issue for you. I can help you out of the situation. In the best case scenario, there's about 200 grand of equity here, Jimmy. Now, Based on the situation you're in, you achieving that whole 200 by yourself without assistance is unlikely. Jimmy, if you're willing to split that money with me, and I'm not saying I could do this, but if I can, would you be willing to allow me to help you out of the situation if I agree to show you how to realize $100,000 in profit? I can fix your problem and put $100,000 in your pocket, Jimmy. Well, yes, Tyler, but you're a greedy capitalist pig, and that means you're making $100,000. you are right, Jimmy, I am. And I'm going to exercise and put my team to work to make sure that we get top dollar on this property so that, number one, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Number two, I can get this problem solved and turned around in a freaking heartbeat. And number three, Valentine's Day just happened. How was that with your wife? How would you like Valentine's Day? How would you like a redo in 30 days? Jimmy, if I can put $100,000 in your pocket in the next 30 days, is it reasonable to assume that wifey might give you a redo on Valentine's Day and things might go a little better than they did this year? Jimmy's going to shake his head drooling going, hell yeah, show me the money. And then boys and girls, you get that sucker under contract. You find a buyer because you've actually already found a buyer because you're a smart wholesaler and not one of these knuckleheads that run Facebook groups that get properties under contract and then try to find a buyer. You've already got a buyer a buyer for it. And you make the deal, you shake hands with Jimmy and you save Jimmy's day. Guys, this is not rocket science. It is really that simple. There is no catch. Be transparent, be direct, get to the point. How do you find Jimmy's? Very simple. You look for people that have bought property in the last I don't know, four, five, six years. They're probably already overextended. They probably feel like they can't keep up with their mortgage payments. They probably bit off a little bit more than they could chew because they said happy days are here again. They got all excited about how great things were in the economy and they probably overdid it a little bit. 
They overindulged, might I say, in the real estate department, and now they're in trouble. And you, ladies and gentlemen, can save the day. You can change their lives. You can provide a solution that they are not able to provide for themselves. Why? Because they're paralyzed by the problem. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is one of a hundred ways we can make a killing during a pandemic and still change somebody's life for the better forever. Guys, hope you have a great week. I hope you get out there and put these strategies to work. Catch up with you next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.